Hello and welcome to the commentary for Lesson 345. This is mostly 2 Kings 13, but we do jump around a little bit because we know that uh, this is a chronological Bible, so they piece it together that way. Now, this reading was kind of all over the place, and I, if you're like me, I have trouble following all the war stories, and it seemed to shift scenes and people so much it was hard to keep up with all the details, so I'm not going to pretend to understand all the details, I'm just going to tell you kind of what I was able to pull from it and make, and make sense of at least some of it. So we start out with Jehoahaz, and he's ruling in Israel, and remember Israel is the northern kingdom. And the capital is Samaria. So he reigned in Samaria for 17 years, and he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He followed the example of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, continuing the sins that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. Now, have you noticed with all of these evil kings, that's said often in scripture. So Jeroboam is like, the evil king to end all evil kings and the evil king that all evil kings are compared to. So how would you like that to be your legacy that was written in the book of life, right? Certainly not something to aspire to. So unfortunately, Jehoahaz was an evil king, followed the example of Jeroboam. And verse 3 says, So the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he allowed King Hazael of Aram and his son Ben-Hadad to defeat them repeatedly. So this chapter was written over a very long period of time. Verse 4 says, Then Jehoahaz prayed for the Lord's help, and the Lord heard his prayer, for he could see how severely the king of Aram was oppressing Israel. So the Lord provided someone to rescue the Israelites. Now, a couple of things about this verse that stood out to me. First of all, it says, so the Lord provided someone to rescue the Israelites. We don't know who that someone was. There's a whole story there. You know, there's just these gaps in scripture sometimes that, man, I wish I knew the story on that. And it made, it reminded me in the New Testament when John writes in chapter 21, verse 25, he says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So yeah, we're not going to get every single detail as much as I would like it, but, and I wouldn't live long enough to be able to read all of that, I'm sure. So anyways, so that was just interesting that there's a whole story there and we don't even know who that person was, but we do know that God provided that. And it's interesting that even though God was the one who emboldened the enemy against Israel because of their disobedience and because of their turning from him, he still has mercy even on an evil king that prays to the Lord. And he heard this evil king's prayer and took mercy on him. And he gave them a little bit of a reprieve. And it says, then Israel lived in safety again as they had in former days. So this should remind us that, you know, we can never get so far that God doesn't care about us. All we have to do is call out to him. We see that theme over and over and over throughout scripture. And it's not true just for the Israelites. It's true for the Gentiles too. And that's us. So that's a lesson we can take um, to heart for in our lives as well. 
Now, I got a new study Bible. It's called the Quest Study Bible from my dear friend Mary. It's the NIV version. And I want to read something from that because it brings up the question, this reading today brings up the question, Jehoah has, he was evil. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. God emboldened the enemy to rise against Israel, but he heard his prayer. So you got to ask, was Jehoahaz evil or good, right? If God heard him and took mercy on him. It says, Jehoahaz called on the Lord when he was in trouble, but he never turned away from his other gods. This was why he was considered evil. Jehoahaz was like many of his subjects. They looked to God for help, but never recognized the need to worship only him. Here we read that Jehoahaz called for help, but we never read that he repented. So God answered and helped him in spite of the fact that we don't read anything about his repentance. That's a gracious God. Verse 6, though, he, you know, God can only take so much. He's only going to put up with so much. Verse 6 says, but they continued to sin following the evil example of Jeroboam. Again, there it is. They also allowed the Asherah pole in Samaria to remain standing. Finally, Jehoahaz's army was reduced to 50 charioteers, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. So you just see this wave of them doing what is evil, not following after the Lord, the Lord allowing them to be oppressed, and then him hearing the prayer and trying to help them. And again, this is just... You know, three paragraphs, but you can assume this was a very long span of time for all of that to happen. And then we read more about Jehoahaz's uh, reign and how it ends. We don't know how he dies. It doesn't say that here, but it says when Jehoahaz dies, died, he was buried in Samaria. Then his son Jehoash became the next king. So then it goes on to Jehoash and it says he remained or he reigned in Samaria 16 years. But he also did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So he continued on his father's legacy. And then it switches gears in the scripture. It goes to Joash. And so I thought, wait a minute. I think that's what mixed me up. Wait a minute. Weren't we just talking about Jehoash and now Joash? And of course, I have to be reminded because I'm a little dense sometimes. Like, who is Joash again? (laughs) And um, so you could read it as, meanwhile... In the southern kingdom, okay, so Joash is the king of Judah, and the capital there is Jerusalem. I'm sorry if it seems redundant that I have to repeat this over and over again. It's just because I have trouble with these kinds of details. So anyways, King Joash, king of the southern kingdom. And it says that King Hazael of Aram went to war against Gath and captured it. So you can assume in that victory, they gained momentum and they gained resources. And now he turns to attack Jerusalem. And King Joash's response is so disturbing because he basically tries to buy himself out of war. Okay? He collects all the sacred objects that Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, and even him, and all these previous kings had donated, had dedicated to the temple of the Lord. He sent them all to Hazael, along with all the gold in the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace. Oh my gosh. So Hazael called off his attack on Jerusalem. So he bought him off. Joash bought off King Hazael with all these sacred items and these things from the temple. 
that the people so graciously gave for that purpose. That's just so disappointing. You just know that if Jehoiada were still alive, that wouldn't have happened. But here's Joash ruling on his own, and he just has no sense of direction. He has no sense of boundaries. He has no foundation. And that's what God is to us. He's a foundation. We rest on that foundation and everything else. It helps us make those decisions. He has no discernment, which tells us he has no foundation in God. Okay. So his officers are even mad at him. They plot against him and assassinate him. These were trusted advisors of his. So his closest advisors are turning on him in a big way. Joash was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. Then his son, Amaziah, became the next king. So, <clears throat> in Second Chronicles, it's almost like, <clears throat> if you read this wrong, it could seem like a contradictory story of the same war. But my assumption is that because it starts out this reading in Second Chronicles, it said, In the spring of the year, the Aramean army marched against Joash. So this isn't a separate occasion. This is later on, sometime later, but within the same year. Second Chronicles writes this very important addendum to the previous story. It says they invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the nation. Then they sent all the plunder back to their king in Damascus. So Joash bought King Hazael of Aram off, but only for a little while. What a huge price he paid for a temporary reprieve. Because within the same year, they got attacked and devastated. Verse 24 says, Although the Arameans attacked with only a small army, the Lord helped them conquer the much larger army of Judah. The people of Judah had abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so judgment was carried out against Joash. So we've got trouble in the northern kingdom and in the southern kingdom. Things are not going well. The people are not following after God's heart. They are not following after the example of David, King David. They're following after the example of the evil king, Jeroboam. And trouble abounds. So it says in verse 25, The Arameans withdrew, leaving Joash severely wounded, but his own officials plotted to kill him for murdering the son of Jehoiada the priest. So it gives more information in the Second Chronicles account. It says what their motivation was for mo murdering the priest, whereas before I would think that it could have been because he took all that stuff out of the temple. So it's nice that it makes that clarification to let you know. They assassinated him as he lay in bed. So they added that detail. Then he, And this very important detail, it adds, then he was buried in the city of David, but not in the royal cemetery. Now remember, Jehoiada the priest, when he died, he was buried in the royal cemetery. The cemetery was reserved for kings. So the priest made it, but Joash did not. And it says that Amaziah became the next king. Okay, then we get to Elisha's final prophecy. And this is curious as well. When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash, so we're talking about the northern kingdom again, of Israel, visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. That's curious because Jehoash is an evil king, and here he's giving respect of calling Elisha his father his father. But you know, even an evil king can recognize the power of God. And 
King Joash surely knows all the tales of their history of the last 50 or so years that Elisha helped kings succeed in war. Now, we haven't heard anything prior to this about Jehoash confiding or going to, remember, previous kings would go to Elisha for advice before going to war or when they were nervous. They would they would ask him for his help, but apparently Jehoash didn't do it until this time. So now he it's kind of like you don't realize how much you need someone until they're gone. And that seems to be the case here. He recognized God's power was through Elisha. He recognized he needed Elisha. And perhaps he felt some remorse for not really using Elisha, um, not really including him in his plans. Okay, so then when it comes to the comment, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. He's not talking about enemy troops approaching. He's talking about his own countrymen. He sees the chariots and charioteers. So I didn't really see anything about that in any of my study Bibles. I, it could be talking about the chariots and charioteers of Israel. Maybe he's referring in some way back to Elijah. Remember when Elijah um, was taken up by God, it was chariots and charioteers. So maybe he saw that as a symbol of Elisha is about to die. I don't know. Or he, it could have been um, his own country is turned against him. Or it could have been a reference to how weak his own army was and how incapable they were of conquering any enemy. We don't really know the true meaning of that comment, but there's a few ideas. So anyways, Elisha tells him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king does. And he tells him to shoot an arrow out a window. And so he does. And he says, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. So that action of shooting that arrow was purely symbolic. And he says, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. And this is what's so weird. Verse 18 says, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. Boom, boom, boom. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. That seems unfair, doesn't it? I read that and I thought, what? That's not right. And actually, the three kind of made sense to me because three is a number in the Bible. And that seemed like a good number to me. And I didn't think it was a big deal about how many times he struck that arrow. So I'm just going to read to you what my study Bible says. It says, did the king know why he was to hit the ground? It says, he should have. Ancient people often saw the flight of arrows as omens of the future. Shooting an arrow out the window was a sign Jehoash would understand, especially when Elisha explained it meant victory over his enemies. Striking the ground with the arrows should have been an obvious connection to the Lord's arrow of victory over the Arameans. His half-hearted response demonstrated a lack of faith in Elisha's promise of victory. I can't say I still, that I, that helps me totally understand it, but maybe a little bit for each arrow that he shot and each time he taps, that would be a victory. Perhaps the king just knew that because that was a symbolic custom thing. I don't know. Anyways, then it says Elisha died and was buried. Groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring. 
So that prefaces the next sentence, which says, once when some Israelites were burying a man, so they're burying a fellow Israelite, and you can assume because it follows the comment about the Moabites that it was an Israelite that was killed by the Moabites, okay? And they, as they were burying this man, they spied a band of these raiders, and they didn't want to be bothered by them again. And so they hastily threw the corpse of their fellow Israelite into the tomb of Elisha and fled. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. And then it just goes on and changes topics. So it's kind of funny, like, really? That's it? That's all we get. So that's kind of a crazy account, right? The power that brought that man back to life, it didn't come from the bones of Elisha. It was just a testament to this was a godly man and Even after his death, God considered Elisha to be a man of God. And so that was the power of God, not of Elisha's bones. Um, Then it says, King Hazael of Aram had oppressed Israel during the entire reign of King Jehoahaz. And this is the key and a great way to end this lesson today. It says, but the Lord was gracious and merciful to the people of Israel, and they were not totally destroyed. He pitied them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to this day, he still has not completely destroyed them or banished them from his presence. So again, regardless of how evil the kings were, regardless of how far Israel strayed, God He still made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those were covenants. And he had a plan for these people. And he would bring a Messiah. And the Messiah would come through the line of David. And God keeps his promises. So, great reading. That's definitely the thing to take away from this. Um, So, that's really it for today. I hope you all had a good day. And I will talk to you soon.